It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. My guest today is a neurophysiology researcher who graduated from the University of Oregon with a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's of psychology from Lynn University. He has board certifications in neurofeedback along with QEEG brain mapping. He's the founder of Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro, which is an applied neuroscience company offering premium brain health coaching. He is Toby Passman. Welcome, Toby. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me today, Matt. I appreciate it. I, I am fascinated by the human brain. I always have been. I remember I was on a, a, a voyage across uh, the Atlantic when I was in the Marine Corps. I was on a Navy ship and I found a general psychology textbook and it all started with the biological basis of behavior. I fell in love with the brain and it's fascinating. So I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I thought maybe what we could do is start off today with a foundational question, which is this. What is neurophysiology and how does it show up in our day to day lives? That's a great question. Yeah. So neurophysiology, you know, kind of combining the neuroscience with the physiology. So kind of studying how the brain actually functions on an electrical and chemical level. That's how I would define it and how it shows up in our daily life. I mean, everything that we, we experience, that we think, that we feel, you know, we know that it's all, it all goes back to the brain. So, you know, neurophysiology is, is hugely important in everyone's day-to-day -day life. So let's think about like a, a, a grand master in chess. Okay. Their brain works a little bit different than others. Does that come down to some aspect of neurophysiology? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with, uh, with, when you ever, whenever you practice a skill repetitively, you know, whenever you look at the brains of, of people who are, who are masters in something, you know, it's, kind of the, the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 10,000 hours, right? And what's actually going on there is, you know, neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to, to adapt, to rewire itself, um, you know, in different ways based off, uh, you know, different things, but one being experience. So whatever, you know, there's a, another kind of quote within neurophysiology, neurons that fire together, wire together. So basically it's, it's sort of the lose it, use it or lose it idea. So, someone who's a, a grandmaster in chess, someone who's put, you know, who's kind of devoted so much of their neural resources to becoming a great chess player. They put in their 10,000 hours, you know, that's a, uh, that's all kind of tracked back to the brain. So, yeah. So that's like the, the wiring of the brain. So when, it, when you say that the neurons that fire together, wire together, does that show up like in the, in the physical matter of the brain or just the way that they're interconnected? It does. Yeah. If you look at um, the actual, the both, both looking at kind of the anatomy of what's going on in the brain, they can see that in kind of mouse studies. It's a little bit harder to have to kind of have someone that's, that's dead and, you know, study their, their brain. Um, but yeah, so it's easier to see in mice, but yes, we do know there's, there's anatomical changes that take place um, between neurons and uh, in the synapses, the space between neurons. Um, absolutely. I think one kind of anecdotal example that I had heard of was London cab drivers, and they had to memorize sort of the layout of the streets. And there was some part of the brain, I don't remember what it was, that was developed more in them than it was in, in everyday people. 
So yes, yes, the hippocampus. Yeah. And that's, that's an area of the brain, um, very, in you know, very much in charge of, of memory. And what's really interesting is actually, uh, that's the part of the brain where neurogenesis takes place for the most part. So neurogenesis is the growth and creation of new neurons, new brain cells. And this was something that it was discovered uh, a few decades ago, but they used to think that it was only, uh, you know, children, you know, that, that were able to, to produce new neurons and, you know, had their brains continue growing. But some remarkable research, you know, has since come out that has basically said neurogenesis takes place your entire life, your ability to create those new neurons. So, yeah, um, the, you use the example of the, the London uh, cab drivers. It's another thing of, you know, they've kind of devoted more of those neural resources to, you know, their, their kind of uh, geographical spatial um, kind of abilities and uh, their, their brains are different than, than someone who hasn't. So in the business world, we think a lot about, about cognitive performance. We think about, does someone have the capabilities to handle whatever we might put on their plate? Some jobs are more demanding than others. Some people are more capable than others. So it's a lot of times it's trying to find out uh, how, do you, how do you find a fit like that? Are there like a few of the more relevant aspects of, of neurophysiology or neurofeedback, which I know is also in your background, that pertain specifically to, to peak cognitive performance? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, can you, can you uh, elaborate a little more on that? Yeah, so I think that neurophysiology, neurofeedback, are those are your your areas of expertise, and I just wonder how those relate to, you know, cognitive performance at work. You know, we think about we've been using some examples outside of work, but when you think about inside of organizations, for example, how might some of this show up? Absolutely, yeah. It's in within organizations, obviously. You know, uh, it's both the the individuals, the the brains of all the individuals who are showing up, then also kind of the cohesive unit of how well people are able to work together. And yeah, neurofeedback is, is a way that you can actually modify the electrical activity of the brain kind of by having people play a, a game where they're either getting rewarded uh, for producing the desired electrical brain waves or when they stop producing those brain waves to increase kind of cognitive performance. But it, it's something that um, basically, you know, the more uh, regulated brain waves, the more we're able to uh, kind of have an ability to uh, kind of manage our emotions, control, you know, sort of our behavior and be able to show up, you know, in every aspect of our life as, you know, the best version of ourselves. So I think it absolutely applies to work. And so maybe talk, uh, we can talk a little bit more about neurofeedback. I'm really interested in that because I think as you were talking about like the emotional response, and I know there's a relationship between the emotions we feel and sort of our ability to make decisions, et cetera. But what is neurofeedback and, and just in a little bit more detail? Absolutely. Yeah. So neurofeedback is basically where uh, you first start off with uh, an EEG cap. So that's an electroencephalogram. And it's a cap. Some people, um, some of your audience may have seen it before, some may not. But it's basically a, a swim cap looking thing with a bunch of electrodes and you set someone up and squirt some goo into the different electrodes and make sure that you got a good recording. And basically then someone plays a, a game, some, you know, a, a sort of video game. Um, but the difference is that you're not playing with your uh, controller, you're actually playing with your brain. So you're, 
you might be provided um, audio feedback or it might be a visual feedback. So for instance, if it was uh, visual, you might be uh, watching a sort of movie, you know, on, on a screen as you're uh, hooked up to an EEG. And the EEG practitioner is, has basically put in a protocol into the computer where they're training your brain to produce more or actually potentially less of a specific brainwave. So the, maybe I could back up a little bit there and just briefly mention the so, uh, different brainwaves. The, uh, so basically going from the, the slowest of the brainwaves, delta often produced in like deep sleep, going to theta, more light sleep or deep meditation, alpha kind of being a sort of idling rhythm, really important for relaxation. And then beta kind of being more of our just day-to-day -day cognitive processing. You know, you and I just having this conversation, we're probably producing mostly beta waves. So those are kind of the four, you know, really important brain waves I talk about a lot. And with neurofeedback, you can, you know, upregulate or downregulate any of those brain waves that may be related to a certain dysfunction. So for instance, some oftentimes with uh, ADHD, there's a deficit in, uh, in beta waves. So beta, as I was saying, being super important for that concentration and focus. So in that sort of case, someone might be playing a game, uh, you know, they might be doing this neurofeedback where they're being rewarded whenever their brain produces more beta waves. So the computer or the, the, uh, the screen, you know, is gonna get louder as that person or, or bigger, if, if, it's, if we're using a visual example, the screen's gonna get bigger as that person produces more and more beta waves. Hence the feedback, it's kind of telling your brain, okay, good job, you're doing this well. And then say you uh, lose your attention, kind of drift off, then usually beta fades away. And then you might get that, that feedback, the screen might get smaller or the audio might get uh, quieter. So that's, that's sort of how neurofeedback works. It's a very versatile tool and used by a variety of different practitioners, both to treat um, mental health disorders, neurologists use it to treat TBIs, um, and then we're seeing just the wellness and peak performance space employ it uh, a lot as well. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's almost like you're training your brain based on the feedback that you're getting and how do you put yourself in the optimal state or almost like get reinforcement to, to coach yourself to get into that optimal state. That's, that's fascinating. You exactly. got to work with Zoom and create a special cap so that when you lose your attention on the meeting, it kind of like goes away or comes back. That'd be pretty cool. You joke about that, but I, Matt, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, you know, you start seeing that sort of application. You know, I, I think we're seeing just, you know, the wearable kind of neurotechnology uh, kind of becoming more and more prevalent. And yeah, I don't think that's, that's too unreasonable, you know, to have that sort of thing, you know, be become actually a real thing in the foreseeable future. Yeah. I know that um, it, it's almost impossible to try to, to um, sell science short, right? What's, what's going to be possible? What seems like science fiction, especially when it comes to, you know, these types of frontiers of the brain. I know, I, I think I had read that Elon Musk has like a team of people working on something about, it's almost like a, a, a set of nano something that gets in between your your skull and your brain and it can communicate with your brain. And hey, who knows, man, I, I, it's going to be pretty wild. Indeed. Yeah. The, the applications of that sort of stuff. I mean, it's 
it, it brings up a lot of ethical issues as far as, you know, if, if we have the capacity to do that, you know, is it, is it going to be in our best interest if, if people have these sort of microchips implanted in their brains and yeah. And it, it brings up a lot of, of different issues, you know, even if we're able to do it, it doesn't necessarily mean that's, that's going to be a safe and, and right. kind of healthy option. Yeah. And even in the day-to-day world here and now, you know, when I think about leadership, because this is, you know, my area of, of expertise and interest, I think about like when I'm talking about leadership, I think there's three really important pillars. One is self-mastery. One is inspiring others. And the other is being ability, uh, the ability to deliver results. So when I think about neurophysiology and what's going on behind the scenes of these, something that I've never even thought about, if I think about self-mastery, a lot of it's around learning and learning loops. Is there a neurophysiology of learning? We've touched on it a little bit, but are there specific things we know now about the brain for optimal learning that might be of interest? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's a variety of things. I would say we know that in while someone's asleep, that's when a lot of uh, memory reconsolidation is happening. So, you know, if you were to read something, you know, a, a, a newspaper article or, you know, part of a book, you know, part of the process is, is reading and, and sort of learning, you could say learning that information. But if you're not able to reconsolidate those memories and actually have that kind of go into your, your longer term memory, uh, that's not that's not really learning. Uh, that basically, what I'm trying to say is learning and memory are, are very intricately connected. So sleep being a huge pillar and being able to kind of retain those those memories from the learning. Um, I would also say there's there's certain brainwave frequencies that we know uh, can actually enhance people's ability to learn, um, putting someone into uh, alpha, uh, an alpha brainwave state where they're producing a lot more alpha uh, uh, patterns is often associated with what uh, uh, a specific uh, a sort of uh, super learning. So basically where someone's able to quickly recall, uh, process and recall a large amount of information in a short time. Mm-hmm. So the different brain waves uh, and the neurophysiology definitely has a big, pl- uh, big role to play in, in someone's ability to learn. And if we shift to inspiring others, like let's say that I'm giving a really impassioned speech, you can almost think like a hockey coach type speech, and I'm getting people to be excited about this next project that we're kicking off, something like that. What's going on from a neurophysiological perspective inside the minds of, of the, you know, my followers, my audience in that case? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a system in the brain called uh, the mirror neuron system. So whenever we're kind of communicating with other people, uh, we, we are sort of, you know, uh, neurophysiologically sort of uh, uh, replicating their, their brainwave state is kind of being transmitted to ours and it's, it's reflected. So that's why we're able to, you know, very readily pick up on, on other people's energy and be able to feel it. So we know there's certain things that great leaders, there, there are certain brainwave signatures that great leaders oftentimes possess. So one of the things being uh, what's called waking Delta. So I, I mentioned before that that Delta is usually associated with, with uh, deep sleep. That's when most people are producing the majority of their Delta brainwaves. But they found that actually in in people who are great leaders, who are very persuasive, 
uh, influential people, they actually are, have the unique capacity oftentimes to produce uh, delta brainwaves actually while they're awake, while they're giving that speech. There's some other brainwaves that, that come into play too, like uh, alpha waves, uh, what I mentioned before, if you've ever heard of flow states, we're in this kind of a hot kind of buzzword that people talk about in a lot of different senses now, but, but flow states basically where you are sinking into this sort of state where you just sort of lose, you, you know, you might be normally thinking about, oh, you know, what am I going to have for lunch after, after this talk or, you know, what, oh, I forgot to call this person back, whatever. In an alpha state, in a, in a kind of flow state, you sort of lose all of that, all of that sort of mind chatter goes away and you become intently focused on, on whatever you're doing. So a lot of speakers, um, a lot of people uh, are actually sinking into that flow state when they're kind of delivering this, you know, incredible uh, sort of speech to the audience. Hmm. And that brings us to the third one, which is around delivering results. And sometimes when I think about that, it's around thinking through complex systems, talking about long range planning. Some people tend to have time horizons. They can really plan out, you know, a week or a month. Other people can seemingly see years into the future and come up with these really extensively long range plans. I'm not sure if that's a function of like neuroanatomy or neurophysiology, but what might be at play, you know, at that level in, in the brain that might explain differences between people in terms of let's take something like long-term planning. A hundred percent. Yeah. So the, the prefrontal cortex, the, the very, very front part of our brains right behind our, our forehead is really in charge of that kind of planning and, and long-term decision-making. So that's kind of the most evolved sort of, you know, what's often called the, the very human part of our brains, you know, what, what separates us from, from most other animals is our enlarged prefrontal cort uh, cortices. So the prefrontal cortex is able to um, kind of prevent us from, from doing whatever, you know, uh, feels the best in the moment. You know, maybe we want to grab that cookie. Maybe that, you know, cookie looks really appealing and, you know, our, our pleasure centers are, are kind of demanding that we grab that cookie. But if, you know, you have this long-term sort of goal of, of optimal health or weight loss and, and you know that cookie is not going to be in your best interest long-term, the prefrontal cortex is able to sort of battle with the reward centers. And they know that in people whose, whose prefrontal cortex is able to kind of win out, they're able to be much more successful in life. So I'll give you an example. There is uh, back in the, the uh, I believe this was the 1960s, um, there was a psychologist who got very famous for conducting what was called the marshmallow test. And in this test they had, they brought in kids uh, and had uh, basically they, the experimenter gave each of the kids a marshmallow. And they told the kid, the kids, you can either eat the marshmallow right now, you know, no, no penalty, but if you wait 30 minutes, you can get another marshmallow, you get a second. So that was basically being able to measure whether someone is able to delay, kind of, you know, delay that reward, you know, in order to basically have a better long-term outcome. You get two marshmallows instead of one, you know, it's a win-win. Um, but so they basically, what was really interesting from that experiment was they actually tracked uh, the results and followed these kids as they got into adulthood. And they found a variety of, of things that basically were way better in the lives of kids who were able to delay the gratification. So as they got into 
their teenage years and adulthood. They found higher GPAs, um, less kind of uh, marital conflicts, more success in relationships, uh, a variety of things that that is very much tracked back uh, to that prefrontal uh, cortex ability. So it's it's hugely important, uh, maybe the most important part of the brain uh, when it comes to you know being able to plan for the, the future. I've just always found it fascinating that we end up thinking about thinking a lot because we're people, right? And we think, especially at work, we're thinking about all kinds of things that are kind of in that realm of some sort of cognitive ability, whether it be planning or communication, decision-making, et cetera. But very, very few of us, myself included, have a full appreciation of the real neuro, neurological, neuro everything basis of all of that behavior that we see and interact with every day. It's, it's sort of obscured for us. Uh, but I really appreciate how you've kind of broken it down for us and really everything from the waves and the interaction and the neurons that fire together. It's just, it's really, you can't outrun your brain. The reality is how your brain works is going to show up in your work. And that's, uh, that's really important to remember. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's something, you know, if, if the, the output, you know, if what you're experiencing in your, your daily, daily life, you know, if, if your work performance if, or if your employees work performance is not up to par and, you know, it's not always a moral kind of willpower failing. Oftentimes it's that, that person's brain is, is for whatever reason, whether it's toxic or, or damaged from a past uh, traumatic brain injury or, you know, has, has a nutrient imbalance. There's a variety of things that might be uh, kind of going awry that, that might be preventing us from showing up in, in kind of our best optimal selves at work. Yeah. And I know there's just certain activities at work that I'm just a terrible fit for as well. So even with a relatively normally functioning brain, there's still going to be certain skill sets and capabilities. And all of that has a neurological basis, of course. hundred well, percent. I'll tell you what I did, Toby. I used the creative part of my brain and I created something special for you. It's a game that I like to call, which came first? And because of your being a special guest, I call this the brain tech or the biz. That's the, the name of this game. So I'm going to share with you a neuroimaging invention and a well-known company. And you tell me which one came first, which was which one was invented or founded first. You ready? Yes. The first, I have never even heard of this, so I'm probably going to butcher it. Cerebral angiography. So injecting ink, I think maybe some sort of dye into the brain and seeing what happens or general electric, which came first, which came first. I'm going to say uh, general electric. Correct. Ding, ding. You got uh, general electric in 1892. Very, very old. Uh, but cerebral angiography, if I'm saying it right, 1927. Was That's, I was sort of thinking that I had a better grasp on, on probably around what decade that was. General Electric, I, I knew had been a company around for a while. But. Yeah, yeah. So here's the next one. The first commercially viable computed tomography or computed axial tomography, CAT scan, the first uh, CAT scan or Microsoft. CAT scan. The CAT scan was first. You're right again. It was in 1972. Microsoft rode right on its heels, though, in 1975. So how about that? Close. close. Yeah, it probably is a coincidence. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how about the next one? Functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI. This is what I understand is probably one of the more popular techniques. Is that right? Correct. Um, okay. So fMRI capability or Amazon. 
Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm going to I'm going to say fMRI. Again, right again, fMRI 1990, Amazon came along 4 years later, 1994, during the dot com explosion. All right, I got the last one again, something I've never ever heard of. The first this is much more recent. The first FDA approved transcranial magnetic stimulation TMS device or TikTok <laughs> that's an easy one the the first transcranial magnetic simulation device that's correct 2008 tiktok didn't come along until 2012 okay awesome. you crushed it that was like 100 percent. you got every one of them right which Ace came it. first the brain tech of the biz the answer is ask toby he knows them the, all the answers <laughs> that is fantastic toby let me get you out on this one where can my listeners go to learn more about you and your work Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so at Roscoe's wetsuitneuro.com, you can learn all about the different uh, work that I've done, read about the different neurotechnologies that we've sort of touched on today and, and learn more if you'd like to. Um, and also learn about the, the neuromodulation business that I have set up. And yeah, so just uh, check out Roscoe's wetsuitneuro.com for all of that. Awesome. And I'm going to include those links in the uh, podcast episode description, as well as the show notes. So those resources are always just one click away, wherever you're listening right now. Toby, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge about this fascinating field. I love it. I think it's just something we don't think a lot about, but you've really helped us understand a little bit more about what's really going on inside our minds. Matt, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Here are my not too technical top three takeaways from today's episode. One, our brains are beautiful. We don't think about it often, but the structure and functioning of our brains holds the key to all that we do, achieve, and experience. Two, there's a neurophysiology of leadership. The way we master our development, inspire others, and deliver results all are rooted in our brain science. Three, you can stack the neuro deck. Rather than operate unconsciously, we can use neurofeedback and simple techniques to put our brains in an optimal state to learn and perform. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. It's fun. Yeah, no, I love that game. Man, that was that was good. Like, because you <laughs> Cause it was like all like those were close together where I was like in my mind, I'm like, I I'm that was lucky. I like most of those that I got. Cause it was like, you picked ones that were like, they were right, They're right there. Yeah. That was good.